listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Indeed, welcome to the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw, your guitar scientist with over 20 years of experience building and repairing guitars. This is a podcast about guitar repair, guitar building, guitar news, guitar science, and guitar opinions. Sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. This is a question and answer episode where we will respond to listener-submitted emails. I will read the questions and Eric will try to answer them. It's all true. We have a lot of good questions, questions about pickups, questions about ethics when it comes to repairs. That's interesting. Mm. How to remove marker from your guitar. Questions about uh, lots of things. We'll get into that. Questions about Dan Electros. I love it. I love it. I love it. So a lot of questions. No calls this episode, which is fine. Uh, But there's a few ways to participate in the show. If you want to be part of the show, you can call. 757-774-8482. 757-774-8482. Call or text that number and we'll use your question or comment as part of the show. The other way to do it is go to my website. And that's ericdaw.com. E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. And click the contact link. Submit your question or comment there. Well, uh, this is... It's become customary. This is the part of the show where I talk about what I've been working on. I just recently finished up a guitar, uh, a, a 1930s Gibson L5 archtop, a beautiful archtop. It had several cracks, and it needed to be glued up and repaired and aligned. It had been cracked for so long that there was a lot of warping going on, so I had to, I had to get everything realigned with clamps and magnets and all kinds of things to make it line up again. Glued it up with hot hide glue, which is the my preferred method. That's my preferred glue. And it went real well. There's about, I think there were six different cracks I had to glue up on it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that was fun. I also, I just finished two custom guitars for some customers and nice. sent those out and they were both just tickled pink. That's always fun. That's always fun. Mm-hmm. I'm finishing up two more that I should have this done this week, and uh, these two guitars are going to go on my website. They're going to be for sale. Wow! Yeah, I decided a while ago just to make mo- to kind of like custom Schedule order them. my own. Yeah. Orders to put them on the website. Cool. I decided to randomly make a lefty. Wow! So there's a lefty telly. 
and a righty to, I don't really make Telecasters, that's Fender's job. What I make is a very similar product. However, uh, there's a left-handed one and a right-handed one that will be available on my my website very soon. That's that's a pretty rare thing. It it's, is. It's been years since you have well, one on your website. I was feeling bad about the fact that there's never any guitars for sale on my on pinupcustomguitars.com, my right. other my other website. pinupcustomguitars.com. Uh normally, you know, all of my guitars are pre-ordered. Right. You can order through the website and I'm back ordered several months, so I I decided a while ago, you know, I should really just put a couple of custom orders in the queue and get them done. So Cool. They should be done this week. Yeah. If you follow my Instagram, I'm sure you'll see pictures of them. Mm-hmm. Um at Eric Daw Custom Guitars. Uh, and you've got an email list, too, for alerts when you get something new, don't you? I do, yeah. If you go to pinupcustomguitars.com, you can sign up for alerts there. I haven't sent any alerts for probably at least a year because I haven't had any guitars available. Wow. The last guitar I had available was a a Lake Placid Blue Strat. Wow. Style. That do, was a long time ago. Do you remember that I guitar? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think it was about a year ago. Yep. Anyhow, that's what I've been working on lately. Also sending out a lot of custom-ordered pickups and random things. Cool. Yeah. Bits and pieces from here and there. What's on your bench? What are you working on? My bench? Yeah. Uh, I've got a couple orders that I'm working on, but I've been spending a lot of time on my uh, oh, and my new website. Oh, yeah. But custom guitar straps? You're making a couple of custom... Custom guitar straps, yeah. Very cool. Uh, and if you are interested in one, you can go to my my Etsy site right now. My uh, melcoleather.com is just linked to my Etsy site right now. But very soon, very soon, I will have a real website up and running, and it's going to be real fancy. Fabulous. Real fancy. Let's take some questions, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Eric and Melissa, hope you're doing well and haven't been stuck in your house all August because of the smoke from the wildfires. We kind of were, but we didn't let it we didn't let it bother us. This was last month, yeah. I guess. Uh, the podcasts continue to be entertaining and informative. Thanks for taking time out of your busy lives to create them. After, you are welcome. <laughs> after year, hearing your episode about twisted necks, I started thinking, could I own a guitar with a twisted neck and be too ignorant to notice? Are there any quick, easy ways to test for a twisted neck? Second question, are only hot pickups susceptible to being microphonic, or can low-output pickups be microphonic in a high-volume situation? Third question, Melissa, oh, it's for me, what was the most difficult strap you crafted, and what were the challenges? Bruce in smoky Seattle. Thanks, Bruce. You go first. Yes. Uh, Well, you know... Guitars are made out of wood, so it's not uncommon for a neck to be ever so slightly twisted. And you can tell this because uh, if you look down, if you're good at sighting necks, you know, looking at a guitar neck from the headstock to the body, looking down the side of the neck to see if it's straight, 
look at the bass side and the treble side, and if they're not exactly the same, then your neck is just slightly warped and twisted. Like exactly parallel, you mean? or Well, uh, oftentimes you'll have uh, just little nuanced differences oh. between the two sides of the neck. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. You know, it's not uncommon. It's usually so minor that it's almost imperceptible, and it's usually so minor that you you don't need to do anything about it or, you know. If if you look down your guitar neck and one side has a big dip and the other side has a big hump, now you've got a very twisted neck and that's a big problem. Right. Yeah. Hmm. But little imperceptible, almost imperceptible differences between the bass side and the treble side are very common. And is it a problem? I mean, is usually it a not. No, I mean, you know, it's we're dealing with wood. They're right. not. There's it, it. It's not. It's very hard to have a very ex, you know exactly perfect straight yeah. piece of wood. Totally. Um, but uh, you know, they're they're usually straight enough that it's fine. I mean, we're talking about tiny, tiny tolerances here. Yeah. What was his other question? Bruce, uh, what was your other question, sir? Are only hot pickups susceptible to being microphonic? Oh, yeah. So any pickup can be microphonic, whether it's whether it's high or low output. That really doesn't have anything to do with it, uh, tangentially, maybe. But um, the, big, the bigger issue is if it has... Uh, uh, how can I explain it? Um, if, if it has, uh, if it's able to move, if it's able to, um, be vibrated by the sound waves. So that's why we wax pot pickups to keep the, um, the coils tight. Sure. Um, but if it has like a loose base plate or loose fitting parts, loose fitting anything, uh, or a loose coil... Uh, that all can make a guitar microphonic, uh, a pickup microphonic. Huh. Yeah. So do you wax pot your pickups, or is that a secret you want to tell? Uh, almost every pickup I do, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Some, I'll occasionally dip, uh, you know, they did this in the 50s at the Fender factory. For some reason, they dipped neck pickups in lacquer and not wax. Like literally dipped it into a pool of lacquer into a into a can of lacquer. Interesting. I don't know why they did that. That seems like. But they did. Yeah. So no, occasionally I dip them in lacquer, but that takes a little longer to cure, and I don't know. I don't hear a difference. I don't, and I don't know why they did that. But yeah, almost every pickup, I wax pot. Uh, if if I'm rewinding a pickup. I usually wax pot it unless the customer specifically asks for me not to, mm-hmm. or if it wasn't wax potted in the first place and didn't have a problem. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. There's other pickups that, you know, it, it just depending on how you make it. And if, you know, if you get the coil nice and tight and if all the parts fit together well, you don't, you don't have to wax pot it, but it does help with feedback problems. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and my most difficult strap I've ever made, uh, I earlier this year I made a seascape strap with dolphins and a coral reef. And uh, you can look at pictures of it on my website, uh, or not my website, my Instagram, which is at Malco Leather. 
Um, and it was difficult just because of the subject matter. First of all, you know, corals are hard to capture. But also because uh, the customer and I didn't have, we weren't on the same wavelength when we were talking about design, you know? You had a hard time making it. Yeah. And, you know, if you're talking to somebody in person, it's one thing. But if you're going back and forth on emails, it takes a lot of time and effort to get on the same page Sometimes when it comes it does, to design. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah. You can check that out on my Instagram if you want to see it. I remember that strap. It turned out beautiful. Thanks. Yeah. it turned. Should I say beautifully? It turned out beautifully. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, next question, huh? Mm-hmm. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Eric, is there an ethical line you don't cross when it comes to modifying vintage guitars? And where is that line? Would you upgrade tuners on a vintage Martin? Would you route a 60s strap for a humbucker? Would you put a Floyd in a 50s Telecaster? Oh, these are getting worse and worse. Uh, what If that's what the customer wants and is willing to pay for it and doesn't care about the value of the instrument, will you do the modification or not? <laughs> Just curious where you draw the line and why. Thanks, Bill, a fellow guitar scientist in Alaska. Cool. Right on, Bill. Thank you for the question. I like this question a lot. I think I've touched on this before in a previous episode, but it's been years, and I really don't remember anyway, but I just I vaguely remember a question like this. But uh, that doesn't matter. It's good to revisit it because uh, absolutely there's ethics involved. Most of the time, the line where I draw the line is, if it significantly devalues the guitar, I won't do it. So putting a Floyd in a 50s telly, I say no. Uh, routing out a 60s Strat for a humbucker, I say no thank you. Uh, reaming out the, the, uh, the holes in the headstock on a vintage Martin to put on Grovers or something... I've been talked into that before, but not not a very valuable Martin. If it if it was a you know if we're talking about a seventies Martin or something like that, but uh, the reason why I draw the line there, you know, even if the customer is willing to pay for it and doesn't care about the value, I care about the value, and <clears throat> that guitar may not always be owned by that guy, and one modification like that can really get legs, especially nowadays with the internet, can really get legs and get around, and then uh, your name is attached to it. Yeah, I don't want my name attached to a Floyd Rose having been put in a 50s Telecaster. Right. Because it destroys the value of the guitar. Right. We're talking about a guitar, if it's a, if it's a, a, a good condition 50s Telecaster with the original finish, the guitar's worth thousands and thousands of dollars, if you route it out for a Floyd Rose, uh, you would decrease the value by at least half. Yeah. And cut your market way, way down. It'd be, it would probably be hard to find a buyer well. for, for a 50s telly with a Floyd in it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I say no. I say no because uh, it, I don't want to be associated with devaluing vintage guitars. It's kind of my specialty. I specialize in, in working on vintage guitars, and you have to have a reputation of being a good caretaker of these instruments and uh, making sure that you don't do things that devalue uh, them. There are things that, you know, like some people, 
Say never refret a vintage guitar. Well, that's like saying never put new tires on a vintage car. You need the frets to be in good condition to play it. Right. So for me, if it's a playability issue, like the nut is worn out or cracked, or if the frets are worn out, you know, this is a repair that needs to be done in order to make to keep the guitar playable, because if it's not playable, that hurts the value. Right. And uh, just recently, you replaced the pot and something. What was it? Do you remember? It's like a 54 Strat or something. Oh, a customer sent me a 50s telly that the pots had just worn out on. But, you know. And so, and, and it had been... Uh, uh, I think it had been um, taken apart before to where it wasn't like we weren't breaking solder joints that were virgin or anything like that. But I just made a whole new harness for him and hooked up his pickup to that. And then we put the original electronics in the case. He can eventually find uh, the right pots to put in that guitar from, from the right year. Right. But, you know, it's a stage, it's a gigging guitar, it's a stage guitar, and so he needs it to work. The thing about that modification is it can easily be undone. Right. We can put the original electronics in it, no problem. Routing out a guitar, that can't be undone so yeah. easily. You can't put that sawdust all back in the guitar there. Yeah. So, uh, when it when it will when it really affects the value of a guitar, even. I've had people ask me to do crazy things to vintage guitars, and I've had to explain to them, you know, sorry, I won't do it. Cool. Yeah, anyhow, thank you very much, Bill. Appreciate the question. Hello, Eric. Big fan of the show. I have a mini jumbo guitar with a small marker spot on the front lower bout. Not exactly sure how it got there, either me or the kids, and it's no problem, but it is annoying. Is there any way to get the spot out without damaging the finish? That's from Galen. Thanks, Galen. He sent me a picture of the guitar. It's a modern, poly-finished, you know, guitar. Yeah, use a little bit of rubbing alcohol, and that, it was just a little dot, like a red Sharpie. Like somebody put a red Sharpie dot on the face of the guitar. Use a little bit of rubbing alcohol, that'll come right off. Cool. Absolutely. No problem with the finish, right? No problem with the finish. You wouldn't, you know, you want to be more hesitant on a vintage guitar. Like, for example, if it's if you have a vintage guitar that's uh, finished with shellac, alcohol is a solvent that will oh. eat into that. Hmm. Um, so, you know, a, a new guitar that's poly finished, no problem. Awesome. Thanks, Galen. I've just started listening and have a few years of catching up to do, but I am hooked. I've been obsessed with all things guitar for a long time, and I can't explain it, but your show just makes me happy. That makes me happy. Hmm. I'm designing a replacement bridge for the Steinberger R-Trim and thought that a threaded arm might be the way to go since they are so readily available. I was worried about the arm bending or breaking at the threads, but I figured it couldn't be that much of a problem, right? Well, after hearing your show, it confirmed my suspicion about the threads, for cheap arms at least. Now I can stop obsessing about the arm and carry on obsessing about the locking mechanism. Thanks, Mitch. (laughs) Right on. Thanks, Mitch. I appreciate you listening and have fun catching up on previous episodes. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Love the show from all the way across the pond in the UK. Uh, I have a problem with my Faith Electroacoustic. Side note, 
Do you get faiths over there in the States? They are really excellent. No, I've never heard of one. Uh, I don't know what that is. Yeah, me either. But that's Mm -hmm. less surprising for me. Uh, It has a bulky jack socket that doubles as the strap button, and I can't get my strap to fit securely enough over it. I have tried many brands of strap lock, but none that fit over the button. I am a guitar teacher, and this is my main teaching guitar, so I often find myself using both my hands for gesticulating, whilst the guitar hangs otherwise unsupported around my neck. Sadly, this has resulted in the guitar falling off its strap and suffering some damage on a couple of occasions. Hmm. It seems to me the most simple solution is to install a new regular size strap button in a similar location and retain the jack button just for the lead. Is this the case? And if so, where should it go? I imagine the end block runs all the way from the top to the back. Should it go in line with the jack between it and the top or between it and the back? Hope I've been clear enough. Thanks in advance for your time. Keep up the great work, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, you could absolutely add another strap button and you're right about the end block it does it goes all the way from the top to the to the bottom uh where to put it well um if the uh if the jack is in the dead center then uh i would um i would try taping your strap uh, on either side of it and see which balances better because sometimes you if you put you know it's if you're putting a strap button off center and sometimes your guitar will want to tip and do weird things right so maybe maybe try taping it on try taping your strap on and uh, see where it fits right but before you do that have you tried the little rubber gasket strap locks because they're pretty stretchy and they might stretch around that end pin jack and keep your strap from falling off they're the same gaskets that go on flip top glass bottles what do they call those do you know what they Uh, call those you know what i'm talking about yeah they're just little rubber gaskets i don't know what they're called o-rings i don't know yeah they're little rubber gaskets that go on like if you're a beer drinker grolsch the grolsch bottle has uh, a flip top yeah a flip top uh, lid and there's a little rubber gasket there, but some enterprising individual has been selling those as strap locks, and they really are. You can get them at a homebrew store for... Ten cents. Yeah, ten cents. If you buy one specifically made for a strap lock, it'll be several dollars. Right. Yeah, but it's the same thing. So maybe try that, and if that doesn't work, then yeah, sure, you can you can drill another strap. Well, the other, hole in there. the other option is to, to, to modify your strap itself. It sounds like the problem is that the hole mm. is too small, right? Because the jack strap lock or the strap button jack is too big for the strap. Oh, he can't. It won't. He can't get the. Oh, <laughs> I thought he was saying that the strap kept falling off. But what he's saying is he can't get the strap to fit over it. Yeah, maybe maybe I have it wrong, but no, I understand now. He he's saying it has a bulky jack socket that doubles as the strap button, and I can't get my strap to fit securely enough over it. I don't know. I don't know. Well, if that's the case, just go to your local hardware store, find a hole punch. You might even have one at home, you know, that's made for leather or wood, and just stamp a bigger hole. Yeah. 
Let us know how that all turns yeah. out, Mark. I appreciate the question. <clears throat> I can't thank y'all enough for taking the time to answer my questions. I should admit that I stumbled across the podcast while searching for information about my Dano and had only listened to the Lipstick Tube sh- Shootout when I sent my question. Oh, this was a question. Oh, so this guy emailed a question a few episodes ago about Dan Electro pickups. Yep, I remember. So this is a follow-up. Uh, I have since been binging y'all's show, and I am hooked. You two are very charming, informative, and fun. Thanks. Thank you. Shucks. Uh, I will be sharing the show with all my guitar geek friends. Like you, I am a flat wound guy. I can't find oh, a set of flat wounds. I can't find a set of flats that are made for baritone. Hmm. Do you think I could get away with a set of Diodario chrome flats, which are eleven through sixty-five for seven string guitars? I'm pretty sure the strings are long enough to fit the longer scale length, but will I run into tension or intonation problems? Also, do you have any advice for the care and maintenance of Dan Electros and baritones? Thanks again, Rick from Seattle. Yeah. Do you think I could get away with a set of Diodariochrome flats for seven string guitars for a baritone? Well, I don't know if they're I don't know if they'd be long enough. He says he's pretty sure the strings are long enough. Uh well, theoretically, that would work if they're long enough. Um, you'd just leave off the high E, right? So you'd have like a 65 to 14 or something like that. Let me look up what the scale, or let me look up what the uh, sizes on that is. I love those Diodario Chrome flats, by the way. That's what I use. The Diodario Chromes, they're, they're more affordable than other flats, and I, I actually like the tone better. Let's see here. 11 to 65 Diodario Chrome. Let me look this up. I'm not seeing it. Oh, here we go. Yeah. For seven string, jazz light. So it's a 15. So you would just discard the high E and use a 15 for the high E and a 65 for the for the low that should work great. I'm looking at the gauges. That should work great. Absolutely. For baritone. If they're the right length. Because generally a baritone is going to be a much longer scale length than a, a normal guitar. So, uh, I don't know if the length is right or not. But if it's if the length is good, then you should be good. So, intonation and tension won't be any should be Should be about right. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, also, do you have any advice for the care and maintenance for Dan Electros and baritones? Uh, nothing specific to Dan Electros and baritones um, that I can think of. You know, they're they're just regular guitars. Maintenance would be the same. Care and feeding would be the same. Vintage Dan Electros don't have adjustable truss rods. But um, you know, beyond that, yeah, they're 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 the same as any other guitar, really, except they won't crack because they're made out of masonite. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, Rick. Thanks, Rick. Hello, Eric and Melissa. I've been listening to your podcast for a few months and have almost caught up to the present. Love the show, and I find it interesting that each that you each have such different crafts, yet there is a mutual relationship. Thank you. You make you know, a great team. I have to say, it. I, I cringe a little bit when people say they're listening to old episodes. Some of those early episodes are terrible. They're awful. Well, thanks. You're Sorry. Not, you're supposed to say they're not that bad. Th- they're not that bad? 
Yeah. Uh, the early early episodes were only me and an occasional, you know, guest or I, I used to have somebody that did the news with me. But uh, Melissa wasn't on the first, what, 10, 20 episodes? I yeah. don't know. Yeah, that's why they're so bad. Yeah. Melissa wasn't here. Anyhow, listen to those early ones at your own risk. And please don't judge me by those early episodes. Melissa had a good point. I was trying to find podcasts to listen to. And I would listen to the first episode first. And she said, don't, do, don't ever do that. She said, listen to one of the most recent episodes so that you can get a feel for how, what the show is like once they've hit their stride. Right. The first episode is always rough. It's always bad. And yeah. even, even if the subject matter is great, it's never good. Well, unless it's like a really good podcast host that has experience on a podcast network that works, you know. Yeah. But it's it's hard to find podcasts. Dude. Podcasts to listen to. Yeah. If you, if anybody has any suggestions, send them in with your questions. Well, and I'm always looking for really specific crazy, you know, podcasts that should exist but don't. Eric likes treasure hunting podcasts. You know, shipwrecks, lost treasures. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Mysteries. I find it, UFOs or, or old West podcasts. Yeah. Podcasts about the old West. Ghost towns. Histories. Ghost towns. But these are all you know things that I'm looking for. But and I'll find something, and then e- either the production quality is so bad, or the host is annoying, or it's like a some weird dramatization with sound effects. It's, it makes it unlistenable. Yeah, Eric is very particular well so are you yeah i am you're right you listen to weird british comedy podcasts i can't even understand what they're saying <laughs> i can't it's like a is this english <laughs> or should we get back to this question oh are we doing a show <laughs> yeah let's see where were we uh anyhow uh yeah. no the uh, doug in california i don't know okay. let's take a break can you we'll be back oh my gosh If you're a fan of the show, it has become obvious to you that I repair and restore guitars. I'm not a hobbyist. This is something I do full-time for a living, and I've done it for almost 25 years. If you have a guitar repair that you need help with, consider sending it to me. I get repairs from all over the country. People send me guitars from far and wide, from Hawaii to Alaska to Florida, and I would love to help you with your guitar. I know a lot of people live in an area where they don't really have a tech or a repair guy that they can trust, or maybe it's a really complicated repair or a really special guitar to you that you don't want to just trust anybody. You can send it to me. I promise you'll be satisfied with the results. I rewind pickups, I restore vintage guitars, I do refrets, broken headstocks, neck resets, you name it, if it's broken on a guitar, I pretty much fix it. So. I'd love to help you out. You can go to my website to read more about me and to see a price chart. Go to ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. And if you need more information, you can contact me through that website by clicking the contact link and send me a message there and I'll get back to you. Um, So thank you for listening and now back to the show. As you may already know, I make custom leather guitar straps. I hand make each strap from start to finish. I start with a hide of some of the finest vegetable tan leather on the market. Each hide is chosen for exceptional quality, color, and grain. 
If you haven't been to my website lately, you need to check it out. I've got a bunch of new strap designs and colors listed with more on the way. If you don't see the perfect strap, contact me with your custom order idea. Visit malcoleather.com to seek examples of custom orders I've done in the past. If you're a dealer, I offer competitive wholesale pricing. Email malcoleather at gmail.com for details. Find me on Facebook, Instagram, and of course, Etsy. If you're listening to this, you get 15% off when you enter code FRETFILES at checkout at melcoleather.com. That's M-E-L-C-O leather.com. Okay, back to Doug's question. Why don't you start at the beginning? Oh, my goodness. Well, we're just a few sentences in. Hello, Eric and Melissa. I've been listening to your podcast for a few months and have almost caught up to the present. Love the show. Find it interesting that you both have such different crafts, yet there's a mutual relationship. You have a great team. Thanks. I was trying to think of a question to send in when two quickly appeared after a flea market find. Cool. I bought an early 80s Japanese Epiphone acoustic for $20. Nice. It had a repaired headstock that seemed solid but looked bad. Basically, it had been glued and left. It played great, so I thought it was a steal. Went to work on the headstock by sanding the back and replacing the veneer on the front, and all is going well on that front. While I had the strings off, I stuck a camera inside to check out the bracing. I am not very familiar with acoustics and found a patch of fabric glued to the center of the X-brace. Is this something done during the build, or is this some sort of repair? But the real issue was when I looked at the bridge plate. It is all splintered around the pinholes. Was this poorly done, or do the ball ends of the strings chip away at the plate? I have been modding and repairing my own guitars all my life, and I recently built one. I recently retired, and I'm hoping to improve my skills by picking up cheap guitars and fixing them up. I was hoping I could flip this one to help support my goal, but wouldn't feel right letting this go with the bridge plate all chewed up. I have been learning a lot following your podcast. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Doug in California. Howdy, Doug. Thanks for submitting a question. You know, he uh, Doug sent in some pictures, which is always appreciated. Oh, yeah. If you want to send pictures in with your question, which isn't possible from the website, but uh, you'll have to use my email. Um, anyway... Uh, so he sent some pictures and first of all, the fabric over the center of the X brace is something that's done during manufacturing and it's, it's totally normal. And that's on, I would say most guitars. Well, wow. I don't know about most, but it's on a lot of guitars. Is there's just a, reinforcement. Yeah. There's a little bit of fabric there and, uh, they saturate it with glue and stick it on there and oh. just to keep the two pieces of wood glued together. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to say most. It's on It's on a lot of guitars. It's very common. Very common. The bridge plate, he sent me a picture, uh, is uh, laminated. And what you're seeing that's splintered there, it looks like they put a very thin layer of spruce over some plywood. And that that thin, thin layer of spruce is splintering but the actual plywood underneath is totally intact and totally fine. And this is a cheap guitar, so it's not a big deal. I wouldn't worry about it one bit. Absolutely not. Don't because, try and fix it or anything. Just um, yeah, that 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 uh, plywood bridge plate is, you know, 
veneer and glue and veneer and glue and veneer and glue well thicker than veneer but it's you know wood glue wood glue wood glue and uh it's very strong very strong and it's just the outer just the outer layer that's splintering i can't talk tonight just the outer layer and uh it's not a big deal not a big deal at all cool yeah absolutely normal and i wouldn't worry about it thanks doug thanks for letting us butcher your question it was great uh hello eric and melissa I want to thank you two for taking the time for the podcast and doing a great job on your show. I have a Squire Bullet Strat body. It's late pla- Lake Placid Blue with a Squire Classic Vibe neck. When I got the guitar, I discovered that it had a top-loading bridge with the standard cheap pot metal saddles, etc. In your opinion, would it be viable to drill through it to make a standard Fender-style hardtail? I really like the thinner body, and the neck is great. This was a gift from my wife, so I will keep it forever. Are there any tips for drilling through to accomplish this if I take it on myself? Also, what brand of bridge would you recommend for such a task? Thanks again. Your P.S. Your interviews are really cool, and I always look forward to the podcast. Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. He likes the interviews. Did you, by the way, did you... Was that you... a jab at me? No. Oh. <laughs> It you was, just it was a like. <laughs> well, here's here's what it was. It was my it was my attempt at a segue. Oh, okay. However, you've you've. Well, you looked at me pointedly, like. He see he enjoys the interviews. <laughs> you, however, do not. No, what I was going to say is, did you happen to listen to last episode? You weren't on it. Uh, I uh, I was, it was not on it. An interview with. Uh, Todd Lunaberg. But I did listen to it. I thought it was a great interview. I did too. I really liked it. I got a lot of great feedback about that interview. I thought it was great. And if you didn't catch it, go go back and listen to the last episode. Really cool interview with guitar tech Todd Lunaberg. Yeah. He was the tech for somebody who I used to call Bon Iver, but learned is actually pronounced Bon Iver. Yeah. Bon Iver. Which is... Very French. I hear it both ways, and what am I? I'm not going to correct anybody. I knew it was, I, I knew how to say it, but um, everybody but he, says it wrong, so yeah. I'm not going to go around. So he wanted to let his well, wife be gonna, embarrassed. I'm not going to go around correcting everybody like, like some annoying. Uh, yeah. Anyway, pronunciation Nazi. Anyway, tell tell uh, t- yeah. Go no ahead. No offense to no- actual pronunciation Nazis. Why are we here? What are we doing? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> can you drill through this guitar what, yeah. are you, what are you doing here do it next no i'm just kidding aaron absolutely look you can absolutely drill through that guitar and make it a hardtail it's it's tricky though it's tricky first of all uh to find the right bridge what you need to do is measure the string spacing and make sure you buy a bridge that matches the string spacing. Um, because if the string spacing is off, then uh, you're going to have problems, you know, because that's it, that guitar is made specifically for a certain string spacing. So you need to find a bridge that matches uh, preferably the mounting pattern and the string spacing. Once you do that, the bridge, if it's a you know, string through the body, hard tail strat bridge. The bridge makes a pretty slick template because it has 
six holes that the strings are going to pass through. So the holes in the top are really easy. Right. Because they're just going to be, you know, through the holes in the bridge. Um, then what you can do, uh, assuming that you don't have a jig and a, a shop where you are manufacturing guitars, uh, it, it would be really handy if you had a drill press. Or maybe you know somebody who has one. So that you can make sure that you drill direct and straight through the body to get those holes, you know, right. straight. Yep. And here's what I would do if I were you. What you can do is drill the outer holes first using a drill press, making sure that everything is level and that those holes are going straight through and and uh, you want to make sure that it's as straight as possible. Drill the outer holes, the, the low E and the high E. Then you can take uh, the bridge, mm-hmm. flip the guitar over, mm-hmm. line up the outer holes mm-hmm. uh, on the back, tape the bridge into place, you know. Right. And then that's your template for the back. Oh, because so on the, on the the outer strings, you would drill all the way through the guitar from the top. Is that what you're telling me? If you're very careful, you can do it. This is what he wants to do. Okay, he he wants to make it a string through. Right, but yeah. I, at first you said drill the top holes first and then flip it over. Yeah, drill. You can't. You, yeah, the top holes are going to be easy um, because you've got a template. There, right. So you can drill like, you know, three quarters of the way through. Yeah, halfway through, something like that. But the outer holes, you can drill all the way through. You can use a drill press and just go for it and drill all six holes, but they'll be like probably they won't be exact, you know. And and you have to do it in steps. So the the hole that goes all the way through the body is a pretty small hole, just bigger than the string. Right. The hole that goes in the back of the guitar is going to be a little bit larger uh, to fit the ferrule. To fit the ferrule. Right. And this is kind of, it's kind of a tricky thing. You know, I don't know if, if you've got some experience doing modifications like this, you, you can do it, but uh, you, uh, you could also really mess up the guitar. Yeah. How do you keep the back from splintering out as you drill through, you know how when you mm-hmm. come out the other side, the mm-hmm. the wood usually you clamp the guitar to a piece of scrap wood. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that when the drill bit penetrates through and mm-hmm. through the finish and everything, it doesn't just bust out. Right. It just passes cleanly through into the next piece of wood. Did you already say that? And I'm just not paying attention. No. Oh, okay. Good. No. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a tricky thing, but if you got if you got all your holes drilled and they're they're really equally spaced, then you can go through and from the back side uh drill drill it out a little bit larger to fit the ferrule and it doesn't go very deep, you know, you have to match it to the ferrule. It's a tricky thing and it could really you could really you could bust out the finish, so. Hmm. Well, I have faith in you, Aaron. I think you can do it. 
give it a try if you're, you know, I mean, you just take it slow, nice and easy, and, and uh, yeah, let us know how it turns out. Cool. Eric and Melissa, when you work on old acoustic guitars that have ivory nuts and bridges that need to be replaced, say if you're doing a neck reset, do you shim them from the bottom so you can retain the ivory, or is it better to put them in a bag and put them in the case to save? Also, what are your thoughts on shielding an electric guitar? I'm trying my hand at building a T-style, and some people say it does not matter at all. Some people say only if you use the shielding tape and solder, and some say that the paint is perfectly acceptable and will make a big difference. I am leaning towards the paint, but as it is not that expensive, excuse me, and not that hard to do. Do you shield your guitars? Thanks. I love the show. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Uh, his first question, when you work on vintage acoustic guitars that have ivory nuts and bridges that need to be replaced, do you shim them or... Or do you just replace, replace them? Replace them. Uh, I typically, you know, it's it's case by case. Uh, it's absolutely case by case. I typically leave it up to the customer as well because... Uh, it just depends on the guitar. If it's a nut, an ivory nut that's really close, and we just need to shim it up a little bit, you know, that's a that's a pretty good option to retain the original parts. A saddle on a vintage guitar, I kind of hate to shim up a, <laughs> a saddle on a nice vintage guitar with an ivory saddle. Uh, I, I, it's usually almost every time it's going to be worth making a new saddle for it and we can go with bone or you can go with pre-ban ivory if you can get it and you know it's available it's out there uh or you can go with fossilized uh mammoth ivory something like that so it just it just depends case by case i you know i consult with the customer what they want to do and uh it just depends on the guitar yeah cool that's a great question though and you know sometimes it's just you know let's put a new nut and saddle on there and they they'll say just you know put bone on there i mean you know everybody's different everybody has a different concern or you know depending on what we had to do to the, to the guitar so what was his other question? Shielding. Do you shield your guitars? What and where and why? Uh, almost never. The guitars I make, I really don't. And here's why. It it does help a little. Most of the hum that comes from single coil guitars is coming from the pickups. It's it's not it's really not coming from the cavity. It's coming from the pickups. The pickups have thousands of turns of wire around the magnets and the pickups are unshielded so you know 80 90 percent of the hum in a single coil guitar is coming from the pickups so shielding the cavity can it does help a little but only a little you'd have to shield the pickups in order to uh have it help a lot some single coil guitars like dan electros have a shielded pickup or Telecasters, for example, have a pretty well-shielded neck pickup, but um, it's not fully shielded. There's just a 
cover on it, but it doesn't go through the back. So it depends on the guitar. But um, yeah, I I don't typically shield my guitars. I like single coil pickups so much. I like their tone that I live with the hum. It really doesn't bother me. So cool. Unless unless somebody's ordering a custom guitar and specifically asks me to shield it, I do not shield them. Well, there you go. There you go. That's that, all the questions. That does it for this episode of the Fret Files podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And please do participate in the show. You can do that by calling 757-774-8482. Call or text that number. The other way to do it is to go to my website, ericdaw.com. E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and submit your question or comment there. Thanks a lot for listening. We really appreciate it. And uh, spread the good word. We'll see you soon. Good night. <laughs>